I'm Lauren Sherman, the writer behind Puck's fashion and beauty memo line sheet. And I'd like to welcome you to my new show, Fashion People. On every episode of Fashion People, I'll be talking to insiders about the stuff we're all whispering between the press releases. From M&A rumors to celebrity stylist dish to the future of legacy media. Be sure to follow and listen to Fashion People, a presentation of Odyssey in partnership with Puck. Available on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, this is Unhappy Hour, the show where we bitch about all the things we love to hate every single week. I'm your host, Matt Belisai. This week, I'm with my producer, Barry Finkel, but not as always because I'm in sunny disgust in Los Angeles and she's in glorious New York. Hi, Barry. Hey, Matt. Hey, Matt, how many flannel shirts did you pack? None of your goddamn business, Barry. But if you have to know, I packed eight. Two for each day because I always sweat through the first one. All right, listeners, this is it. This is the last time I'm going to tell you on this podcast to get tickets to see me and Barry live on stage October 25th at the Green Space in New York City. You can Google it. There's going to be a link in our show notes for you to buy tickets, bring your friends, bring a date because it's going to get romantic. But don't be gross about it, okay? Keep your dick in your pants. We get it. You're in love or whatever but I'm not responsible for your horrible life decisions. You're also welcome for this week's episode, which is filled like my pillowcases on Halloween. Filled with candy and sweet shit. Not that cheap shit either. I'm classy. King size or keep it. We're going to start off, as always, with worst things first, the most fucked up news of the week. Then we are diving deep into Halloween parties, which is a guaranteed way to not get invited to any Halloween parties, which is fine. I'm fine with that. Don't invite me to your goddamn shit. After that, we've got comedian Jenny Yang on the show. We'll talk about her start in politics when she got an award from Barack Obama, the real president. And then we play a game of which is worst. So there's nothing to do but to do it. Strap in, strap on, because the time has come. Let's do this, let's go, let's start the show. All right, worst things first, the news that makes me want to rip out my hair, or what's left of it. Our first story comes from a Twitter fan, Hannah Ray, at Hey, it's Hannah Ray. Hey, Hannah. <laughs> Hi, Hannah. Thank you for bringing this very important story to our attention. Uh, a man in Florida, <laughs> only in Florida. <laughs> I hate that. <laughs> He was awarded $37,500 after cops mistook glazed donut crumbs for meth in his car. This story, it's actually kind of sad. Yeah. It was a 64-year-old man. (laughs) This old-ass guy, he was dropping off his friend at chemotherapy. Oh, God. Then he picked up an older woman that he knew from church who works at (laughs) 7-Eleven. He's just driving his old lady 7-Eleven co-worker friend home. And he was doing 42 in a 30, which is honestly shocking for a man over 60. (laughs) (laughs) But he got pulled over and I guess he had a a concealed weapon, but he had a permit for it. And he was like, I have a gun. And the the cop was like, "Okay, we're just going to look at your car. And then they came back and were like, you know what we found? And he was like, no. And they were like, yeah, 
meth. <laughs> and then they slapped handcuffs on him, and he spent 10 hours in jail before they found out it was Krispy Kreme dust. God. Yeah, and so he sued because he was like, fuck you for putting me in jail for 10 hours uh, for eating a delicious Krispy Kreme donut. And he won almost $40,000. Apparently, they use drug kits that cost like $18 from like CVS. That's what the cops are using. And apparently, it came back positive for meth, but it was Krispy Kremes. (laughs) The point is, just be thankful every day that you spend eating donuts in a car unaccosted by the police because your life can change overnight. How many donuts can you buy with $37,500? At least a few boxes. Honestly, though, Krispy Kreme gives out a free donut like every day. If you keep going back, eventually they'll give you a free donut to leave them alone. How do you know? Um, Just like I've heard. I've heard from um, just from people who've tried it. Like from like the cashier who keeps trying to keep you away. <laughs> My picture is up in at least three or four Krispy Kreme franchises because I do meth in the bathroom. <laughs> Next, Carrie Fisher, rest in peace, Princess Leia, apparently sent a cow tongue to a producer who assaulted her friend. She went to a deli and was like, give me a fucking cow tongue. She wrapped it, according to the story, in a Tiffany's box with a white bow and then attached a note to it that said, if you ever touch my darling Heather or any other woman again, the next delivery will be something of yours in a much smaller box. What? Damn. 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 That's cold, hard (laughs) shit. Good for Carrie Fisher. That's mafia. Like, that is mafia style. The point is, don't fuck with Carrie Fisher or any fucking woman, you piece of shit. Next. For a brief moment this week, Google Maps introduced a feature that showed how many mini cupcakes you'd burn if you just walked the route instead of driving. So you know when you punch in an address on Google Maps, they show you how long it'll take you if you drive, but then they show you how long it'll take if you walk, and they added a feature that showed you how many calories you would burn if you walked, which is straight up bullshit. Right away, people were like, this feels weird and kind of, like, shamey. Like, what if people have, like, eating disorders? And then they're like, yeah, here's how much mini cupcakes you're basically eating by taking a car, you fat ass. If you want to get married one day, you could walk. Or if you want to continue living your fucking life as a loser, then take a car. This is coming from someone who I haven't walked more than, like, a block in decades. Yeah, that's just accurate. You know what Google should show? How long it would take for you to lie on the ground and roll where you go. Because in a couple of years, that'll be the only way I can get around. <laughs> because of the number of mini cupcakes that I eat all the time. Also, why would you choose a mini cupcake as a measure? Yeah, that's just ridiculous. That's not even the best dessert. Who's out here eating multiple mini cupcakes? No, you eat one big regular size cupcake. When I first moved to New York, okay, there's a cupcake shop called Baked by Melissa. They used to get them at the office all the time. And for like four years, I thought they were from a a girl named Melissa who worked in our office. Who was just... (laughs) (laughs) Who was just like really... I was like, oh my God, she's such a good baker. And it's so nice. And she's always bringing us baked goods. That Melissa... 
Um, let's see. Google has since removed the feature. It was just an experiment, and people rightly were like, fuck you, Google. Don't tell me what to do. And now you can go about taking a car without feeling like you're just shoving a mini cupcake down your throat. You know what I suggest? Take a car and eat a cupcake. Do both. Mm. Double down. Look Google Mm -hmm. right in the face and say, you can't tell me what to do. I'm going to swallow an extra mini cupcake in your honor. Next up, a Texas county worker was arrested for stealing, over the course of nine years, $1.2 million in fajitas. (laughs) If I'm going to commit a crime and go to jail, you better believe it's for stealing over $1 million of a food. Here's how it works, okay? He was running a long con. He worked for a juvenile justice department. (laughs) Oh, no. He worked for a kid jail. Oh, God. They're not even good fajitas. Oh, yeah, probably not. (laughs) It sounded like what he was doing was he would, like, fill out an order for food, but then he would just add on a bunch of fajitas every day, and then he would take the fajitas and then, like, sell them on the side. One day, he didn't show up for work. He had had a, a medical appointment, and... Then a driver showed up with 800 pounds of fajitas. <laughs> was like, where do you want me to put this, these fajitas? And the place was like, we didn't order any fajitas. And that's when someone started putting two and two together, dose and dose together. And then I guess they suddenly they discovered that he'd been ordering 800 pounds of fajitas every two weeks for the past nine years. Why? Why not? I've come on this podcast. I have come out against fajitas. I don't like you have. I don't like any food that hisses at you like a snake. That's what fajitas are. They're sneaky snakes that they bring to your table and you have to assemble it together. I hope he had fun. It sounds fun. I dream of making a living by running a secret fajita ring. That's goals in my opinion. Then finally, another fucking ginger Game of Thrones actress steals one of my mans. Joe Jonas is engaged. To Sophie Turner from Game of Thrones. Once again, did not even know that they were dating. Had no idea. No, that came out of nowhere. She was like, guess what, bitch? Snagged it. I'm pissed that now, yeah, now we all, all we have is Nick Jonas, which I'll keep at it. I'll keep at it. I just don't like <laughs> any reminder that the men in my life are heterosexual. It's constantly upsetting. And they keep they keep abandoning me for their wayward life of straightness. Nick Jonas better go full-blown homosexual or I am writing off the Jonas Brothers altogether. They've already fucked up enough by giving birth to Kevin Jonas, that curly-haired fuck. He's the worst Jonas. He followed all of the Trumps on Instagram. No, a good Jonas brother doesn't do that. You fucking, you, you fucking clown. Anyway, fuck the Jonases, figuratively and literally. (laughs) Nick Jonas, you're our only hope. Don't let us down. And that's it for Worst Things First, the stories of the week that make me want to scream. Hold on tight, because we've got a deep dive for you coming up next. Halloween. Crusty sheets. Sexy Squidward. Crusty sluts. Deep dive, deep dive, deep dive, deep dive, deep dive. 
Deep dive. Deep dive. Deep dive. Deep dive. Deep dive. Deep dive. Halloween is right around the fucking corner, and I gotta be honest, I've always hated Halloween. Why? Because A, I don't like scary movies because they're real. I don't like costumes because they're hot and they're gross and they're sticky and they're sweaty. When I was a kid, my mom insisted that I be Frankenstein for Halloween and she forced me to wear green drag makeup. Amazing. And it smelled like burnt plastic. And that entire Halloween, every time she attempted to put it on my face, I would gag. (laughs) So every picture of that Halloween is just me in green face paint with like gag tears streaking through the green paint. All of my bad Halloweens, which is every Halloween, is me confronting my sexuality in some way. I was Steve <laughs> Irwin, the crocodile hunter. Rest in peace. Um, Obviously, rest in peace. The costume was just short shorts of like V-neck cargo vest. And my mom, it was Chicago, so it's cold on Halloween. And she was like, you can't go outside like that. So she made me wear skin-colored tights. A skin-colored leotard underneath my Steve Irwin costume. And I tripped on a twig that night, and there was a long run in my pantyhose that I just had to walk around in for the rest of the day, looking like shame. Halloween, there's just so much pressure, okay? You got to give out candy. You got to get a costume. You got to go to a party. No, no thank you. I wear a costume every day. A costume called reality. And it's terrifying. It's the scariest costume there is. But specifically, Halloween parties are the fucking worst. Even though the only Halloween party I've been to is the one from Mean Girls that Katie Heron goes to. (laughs) I was there. If you look, if you squint in the background, you can see me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So let us count the ways why Halloween parties are the fucking worst. First, I didn't ask to be invited to your goddamn event. And yet, I have all of the pressure now. I don't want to come to your small-ass apartment with no air conditioning. And now I got to come up with a fucking layered costume and come over and stand in a room that you jizz in all the time. Holding a cup of juice that you made to look like blood and talk to your shitty friends and smell your fucking cat's hair everywhere. I have actually only been to one Halloween party. (laughs) And this is just that experience. (laughs) If you host a Halloween party in New York City in your tiny-ass apartment, you can go fuck yourself. There's no reason that you should be doing that. (sighs) Also, I hate when you show up to a costume party and everyone is like, "What what are you supposed to be? Someone with better things to do. That's what. (laughs) You fucking clown. I feel like fog machines add to the aura of horniness that is endemic to Halloween parties. Mm. Everybody at Halloween parties is like, I'm going to be fucked because everyone's dressed like a whore, which do your thing. Dress like a whore. I don't care. Uh, But the fog machine, I feel like just adds to it. And then everybody, yeah, everybody is trying to get it in. No, keep your Halloweener in your pants and your hollow Gina. 
all Halloween parties are like, here, let's get wasted on this drink that I just made up uh, in my bathtub. And then also the only thing we have to eat is a fucking bowl of M&Ms, which, first of all, nobody is eating from a bowl of open M&Ms, you fucking monster. And second of all, Halloween candy is not sufficient to soak up the amount of weird ass alcohol that I'm consuming on this holiday alone. It's just a recipe for absolute orange and black disaster. There ain't no vomit like a Halloween vomit, because a Halloween vomit is radioactive. <laughs> Whatever happened to a nice Halloween buffet? Ooh. A, nice, a nice Halloween Cornish game hen? Mm. A nice Halloween lasagna? Uh, what would be in a Halloween lasagna? Just lasagna. Just lasagna. But haunted. <laughs> As much as I hate costumes, though, fuck anybody who just shows up in a crusty sheet and expects that to be enough. Either don't do anything, or if you're going to make a costume, put in some goddamn effort. I want to see the hot glue gun burns on your fingers. I want you to be scrubbing glitter out of your vagina until Christmas, until New Year's. Just want to follow up the sentence about scrubbing a vagina with a thought about my mother. Because we we grew up uh, cheap as fuck, she uh, used to make all of my Halloween costumes until like fourth grade when I was like, I want to pick my own costume. And you know who I was? Jar Jar Binks, the most hated Star Wars character in history. <laughs> But until that, my mom always handmade all of my costumes. So, like, the year that everybody was an M&M, because they went to the store and bought it for, like, $20, my mom was like, no, I'll just sew you one. So I was, like, a knockoff brand M&M. Two years ago, I was invited to a Halloween party that was hosted by and, like, almost exclusively attended by Jews. And, you know, like, the only thing that I like about Halloween is the Charlie Brown and the Great Pumpkin movie. And I was like, why are people never Charlie Brown as that cute little ghost with all of the holes in his sheet? And so I was like, I'm going to do that. So I cut a bunch of holes in a white sheet and then went to the party. But guess what? The reason people don't do that anymore is because of the KKK. <laughs> and I realized I was showing up to a Jewish party just straight up dressed as a Klan member. Um, and that's why people don't do that. And also, I still have the sheet and I use it at the beach, which is really fucking stupid because it's just full of holes and sand gets everywhere. Yeah, there's a lot of mistakes that you made. Um, <laughs> on that topic, every year that I spent in college, there was some, we had to have like a university wide forum after every Halloween because someone did some dumb shit and threw a, like a racist party. There's always, I feel like there's those types of parties at every college. Someone pulls a Prince Harry every year. Yeah. Prince Harry showed up to a Halloween party dressed as a Nazi. Never forget. Here's my problem. I don't care if people dress sexy. It's just that all of your sexy costumes are dumb. <laughs> and you're ruining my childhood by making sexy Squidward and a sexy Oompa Loompa and a sexy can of Campbell's cream of mushroom soup. Whatever happened to just sexy reading a book? Whatever happened to sexy service to the community? Sexy rescuing abandoned animals? Think about that. No, I don't really give a shit. Dress as a sexy corn on the cob. Do whatever you want. Women who dress in sexy costumes are way more inventive than, like, the gays who dress in sexy. It's just like, oh, you have a crop top and short shorts? Congratulations. Halloween parties are, like, atmospherically, biospherically, exponentially moister 
than every other type of party. That's just <laughs> fact. You can take a humidity rating at any Halloween party, and it is it is dripping in juice. <laughs> just dripping in juices. Everyone is so sweaty and gross because they're covered in extra layers of, like, polyurethane. I also don't like any party where, like, there might be a murderer in plain sight and you have no idea. Oh, is that dripping bloody knife part of your costume? Or are you going to fucking murder all of us? Yo, fair point. Also at Halloween parties, there's fucking goddamn makeup everywhere. I go to pee in the toilet and then some sexy Oompa Loompa left a ring of orange ass paint all over it. And then I have to look at that shit while I try to pee. <sighs> Halloween makeup is fucking repulsive. I walk past the makeup aisle at the Halloween store and I gag in the store. Because of what my mother did to me. I'm also terrified of all of those Halloween stores that don't exist and pop up out of nowhere. Literally like a black hole opens and Halloween emporiums pop up all over the world and then they vanish. I love it and I'm pretty sure that like that's the move if you want to open a business. And like the rest of the year just like be on a fucking cruise. Lastly... Halloween parties don't give out goodie bags anymore, and I'm sick of it. Oh, you want me to come to your fucking house and then leave with nothing? You you just fill me with alcohol and M&Ms, and then I'm supposed to go home and feed myself candy and uh, noisemakers and uh, what else comes in goodie bags? Condoms. Flavored condoms. That's candy. You get your sugars. I know some people say that Halloween is like straight people pride and then other people are like Halloween is gay people Christmas. I've heard both. It's it's my hell, whatever whatever way you put it. Anyway, <laughs> that is it for our deep dive this week. Be careful going to Halloween parties. Don't get roped in to some bullshit. Keep your eyes wide open, people, because Halloween parties are coming and someone's going to fucking ask you to come and they'll be like, oh, this will be so much fun. We'll, we'll go bobbing for apples. Don't you dare. Don't you dare fill up a pool with saliva filled water and expect me to put my face in it and wrap my mouth around a fruit. If I'm wrapping my mouth around any fruit underwater with my mouth full of saliva, it's going to be Nick Jonas. Next up, we have an interview and a game with comedian Jenny Yang. But first, a message from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Quip, the new company that's refreshing the way people brush their teeth. Quip is an electric toothbrush that vibrates and has a timer and is ultra slim, just like me. Growing up, my mom made me brush my teeth twice a day, every day, which is why my smile has been described as shining bright like a diamond. But then I moved to New York City, far away from my mother, and was forced to figure out my own dental hygiene. And that's where Quip comes in. It's the kind of toothbrush that makes you want to brush your teeth. It's like having your mom right there with you, without all of the awkwardness of having your mom right there with you. You can even subscribe to receive new brush heads on a three-month plan for just $5, including free shipping. Your mom can't do that, now can't she? That's your first refill pack free at getquip.com unhappy. 
G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash unhappy. Get ready to turn that unhappy frown upside down and smile big with all your teeth. Quip. And we're back with an interview with comedian Jenny Yang back when we switched places and I was in New York and she was here in L.A. Here is Jenny Yang. Thank you for joining us, Jenny. Oh my gosh, thank you for having me, Matt. I'm such a big fan. Thank you, thank you. Let's jump right in. Yeah. So to start, we ask everybody uh, right away, what is one thing that you hate that everybody else loves and why? I honestly don't like Arrested Development. (laughs) Oh no, I love Arrested Development. Here's the thing, because Arrested Development is like every comedian's like dream and they always talk about it like they want to have sex with it and I don't like it. It's really <laughs> annoying to me. And like the people are boring and awful and there's it's too awkward for me. I was an eighth grade cheerleader, so maybe that's why. Like I, I didn't I don't like awkward. That's true. I, I actually do have a, a lot of trouble with really awkward shows. And Arrested Development is a super awkward show. But I think for me my awkward show was Louis, Louis C.K. show. It was like it's almost too awkward and uncomfortable, and it's like, I don't want my enjoyment to be, like, me cringing at other people's moments. I, I, I Strangely enough, I'm, like, I was comfortable with Louis. <laughs> Maybe because Louis is, like, the epitome of, like, kind of straight, old, sad sack guy. Yeah. Awkward? It's true. Who wants to see that? I just kind of watch it. It was one of those things where everyone's like, oh, my God, Louis, 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 Louis. So I was like, let me watch it, see what's up. But for some reason, it didn't turn me off as much as the rest of development. I'm just like, these people are awful. I don't know why it's funny that they're awful to each other. You know, they're like completely terrible people. Right. <laughs> you know what? I'll, I'll, this is what this show is about. It's about people getting to express their opinions. So <laughs> I, I will let you have it. Thank you. So let's start at the beginning. So how how did you get into comedy and like what you know what is your kind of like tragic comedian backstory origin story? Oh God, because every comedian is like just a sad clown. <laughs> Aren't we all just sad clowns? I was thinking about this, and I love the theme of unhappy hour and that the fact that like it's all about yeah. complaining because that's like the co- like the foundation of comedy. But like I feel like my journey is that I grew up being very like I am happy, like but it was all fake. Does that make sense? Like deep down I was a miserable fuck, but like I was like, no, I'm not a miserable fuck. Everyone else is a miserable fuck. I got my shit together. That was me. I was like a big student council nerd, but I always felt like kind of an outsider, even though I grew up around actually a lot of people who are like me, who are Asian American and, you know, that was kind of nurturing, but I felt kind of different. And so it wasn't until I went to college, went to a really nerdy college called Swarthmore College, when I realized that I just needed to like embrace the inner miserable fuck. Do you think your comedy now is informed more by the, like, sad part of you or the happy part of you? You know what? It's both. Because I, I, you know, there's a part of me that, here's the thing, like, after college, I actually became very politically conscious and active. And that was actually my first career before comedy. I actually worked for the labor movement. I worked in politics. Right. I was a stupid professional political person uh, because I wanted to save the world. And you know, it's like to actually engage in working in politics means that like you actually have some sliver of hope that you can change something. So on the one hand, you're like, 
you know, hate the world because you know how it works, but you also are trying to push against it so that it changes. And so you have to kind of hold both. And I feel like I still retain that, you know, like I want to be able to complain about dating, but I also want to be able to like delight in my love of Shake Shack over in and out even right. though I'm from Southern California. You know what I mean? Like, fuck you. I It's okay if I don't like in and out as much as Shake Shack. I'm like super fascinated by your, your journey from political activist to comedian, even though it's seems like it's still very much a part of who you are. Yeah. But how how did you kind of make that transition and decide to, to be more of a full-time comedian? In my head, I was like, I'm moving up in this big organization. I became a director. Right. I was making enough money to like pay full price at anthropology. I'm killing it. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like, I, I can like yelp all of my excess food spending. Right. Like I was literally living the life. And and I think what happened was, was I, it's like I came out of the womb with a briefcase and my parents were like, your job is to be a good student. You know, we're immigrants. We're, this is your job. And I did that. You know, I was like a, like a lot of Asian American and other immigrant kids. It was like your job is to, you know, somehow cosmically make your parents' immigrant story worthwhile. <laughs> it's a lot of pressure, Matt. Right. It's a lot of pressure. Yeah. And so I became this overachiever. And I think by the time I was like in the middle of my 20s going like I moved up so quickly, you know, at this political organization, I'm not even happy. And I just kind of like snap, crackle and popped. And I was just like, I can't. I'm burnt out. You know, I started to, you know, do stand up comedy before I quit. And that was the only thing that saved me. Literally, Matt, like that was the thing that like kept me from punching my coworkers' faces. <laughs> Honestly, I was like, oh, I get to vent on a stage where I'm not representing an organization and have to watch what I say. I just have to make people laugh and be silly. Oh, my God, this is the life. No, I mean, I completely relate. You said that you were like a student council person in college and oh, high school. Yeah. yeah. Did you run for student body president? I was student body president, man. Yeah, <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> you know that movie election, Tracy Flick? I was fucking Tracy Flick. <laughs> that was me. What were you? Well, I ran for student body president. I was not student body president. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I was the totally the, the Hillary candidate. I was like, I, I knew my shit, but everybody kind of hated me. And they, they voted for the popular guy. God, Matt, that's so honest. <laughs> that was my moment of being like, why am I doing this? I hate yeah. all of this and I should just be funny instead and enjoy myself. Yeah. Was it in 2015 that you were you were named the White House Champion of Change? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which is a great title. And uh, I think you have to add the Obama White House champion of change exactly because that title does not exist anymore that's like the the champion of like stomping on kittens now did you get to meet barack obama i did i got to shake his hand yes i got to shake barack obama's hand as his champion of change in art and storytelling for the asian american pacific (laughs) islander community god these things are fucking politics doesn't know how to shorten their damn acronyms that's That's fine you get that means you get an extra long line on your on your business card. It was a total surprise. I was nominated by a fellow person in the Asian American community and I mean I just I I I feel very much that I come from a lot of very like awesome, thoughtful, smart Asian American folks who in the community who care about our community and others and so I got to be nominated for this thing. Yeah. So let's talk about so you uh, 
Um, went to Swarthmore. Am I saying that? I always, that's like one of those words that I feel like I say wrong. I'll get it right. Um, <laughs> Swarthmore. But there's people who say Swarthmore in Washington, so I don't know. Right, right. But you talked about how being there was sort of the first time you were ever in like a white majority environment. How mm. did that sort of inform where you are now in comedy, which is, you know, kind of a space that is run by white dudes? Um, <laughs> how do you how do you deal with that? Yeah, I mean, I feel like I grew up in Torrance near Gardena, where it was majority like communities of color. And going to Swarthmore was a huge culture shock. Like, Swarthmore is this very elite, mostly white, educated school. And I just felt out of my element. Like, I was, uh, you know, four-point-something student. I thought I was smart. But when I got there, I was like, why do these students talk like professors? Where do they learn to talk like that? Yeah. You know, I didn't know Asian stereotypes, Matt. Like, I grew up around kids where we could be smart and cool and athletic, you know, as a Asian-American, Chinese-American, Taiwanese-American. And so when I went to Swarthmore, I didn't know that, like, oh, Asians don't know how to drive. Who knew? <laughs> I was like, I've been driving. Yeah. You know, we. I, I saw Tokyo Drift. We've been drifting. <laughs> right. Okay? What are you saying? We don't know how to drive. You know, like, I just didn't get it. And, and so I learned, basically, honestly, it was like my boot camp for learning how to communicate with and be amongst like elite white people. It was it was an education. And so, yeah, I was groomed to be able to, you know, possibly succeed in politics around white folks or any other sort of institution of power, which is mostly in America run by white folks, right? So that's the kind of education I got. And so approaching comedy was honestly not that different from trying to pursue politics. I've had to learn how to avoid being having a chair thrown at me at a very politically contentious meeting. So having a heckler at a stand-up comedy room is not really that bad. Have you had like any particularly terrible experiences with audience members while doing comedy? Well, you know, when I first started, um, it was a lot of open mics and being in sort of mainstream club shows. Mm -hmm. So there, of course, oh, yeah. You know, the the whole reason why most people may not even want to continue doing stand-up is because it's hostile. It's hostile to people who are not, I don't know, who are just different. You know, supposedly comedy is great because you can, like, make fun of your own difference, you know. But it all still, in the end, it's a lot of, like, playground rules. Yeah. You know, if you're big, if you're small, if you have a stutter, anything, you know, you better make fun of yourself faster than the other person or else you're not going to survive. And, you know, I I would often be, like, the only Asian woman in the room. And this one guy, he was on, like, Last Comic Standing, this, like, white blonde comic. I remember one time at the Ha Ha Comedy Club. I was the only Asian there. And he was, like, in the middle of a set and he just looked straight at me in the middle of the set, took a long pause and was just like, oh, I fucked an Asian girl once and oh just like God. went into this gross thing about how he like reached into her vagina and pulled out a fortune. It's like, okay, Jesus really? Christ. I know, exactly. You know, objectively, kind of funny, but <laughs> disgusting. Right. So speaking of the the videos that you make, I love that, you know, it's not just about being a stand-up on stage. It's about being funny in all of these different ways and, and creating different kind of types of content for people. And I love I love so many of the videos that you're in and that you make. And you, you made this parody video of making fun of people who who like to explain the purity of, of foods, uh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, of which are many. But um, you kind of play the chef where you're 
explaining the purity of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and it's perfect. Yes. <laughs> uh, Thank you. <laughs> what is what is the worst kind of trendy food that you have experienced? Oh God. I think any kind of foam. This is like high class trendy food. There's yeah. like there was like a moment where it was all about all about foam. Just foam, just fucking, it was just looked like a bathtub, like a dirty bathtub suds just fucking crapped on your langoustine, you know? Right. Like, I don't know. That's like on the high end. But here's the thing. As much as I will make fun of gross food trends, like, you know, I just saw a video recently where this, like, Italian pizzeria decided to make, like, the worst, best uh, hungover food, drunk food, and they put, like, a bunch of tacos on top of a pizza. Uh-huh. A, a bunch of street tacos. Just imagine just carpeting the entire square footage of a big, large cheese pepperoni pizza. I looked at that. And, and oh, and then they, they would like squirt all this guacamole around. I'm like, this is disgusting, America. <laughs> and then, but then the more I would sit there, I would be like, God, I would eat that. Right. I would take a bite out of that. You know what I'm saying? I, and then I would hate myself. But it's just, that's how I feel about food trends sometimes. It's like, Really? And then it's like, oh, but I would eat I'd it. Put, I'd put my mouth on that once. <laughs> right. You know? <laughs> so, my last question before we transition into a game is yeah. Are your parents a fan of your work? How do they feel about comedy and, yeah, this kind of transition of your, your career into stand up? You know, my parents have really come around quickly after I initially told them that I was taking stand up comedy seriously. Um, and, and it really was over the course of just a year. And I've always been really independent because I've been into politics and been into student council and leadership. And so they already knew that I wasn't just your sort of average girl. So they've always given me a lot of leeway and trust. So when I decided to do stand-up comedy, I had already developed a career where I could, you know, pay for my own life. So I think I earned a lot of goodwill, if that makes any sense. Yeah. You know, and trust. So when I decided to go into stand-up comedy, they're like, okay, but you're still going to keep your job, right? And then eventually I didn't. They're like, okay. And I'm like, oh, I have savings. I think the real turnaround was I brought my parents to the big kickoff show in 2012 of the mostly female Asian American stand-up comedy tour that we started, Disoriented Comedy. Mm -hmm. And it was a sold-out show. People were laughing. People were having a good time. I forced my parents to come so they could see me on stage. They understood none of it, but they saw how happy everyone was. Yeah. And it, it was a few days after where, you know, my mom called me out of nowhere. And she's not – we're not a real, like, let's share our emotions and express ourselves kind of a family. But she called me, and she was just, like, left me a voicemail. And I was like, Jenny, I was just thinking about that show and how everyone loved you and you were so funny and – how I knew you were so talented, but I didn't know my daughter was capable of this too. You know, I it really surprised me, and I'm just so proud of you. <laughs> and I was like, huh? <laughs> and I, like, started tearing up, and I was like, oh, my God, I wish I could save this. I totally should have saved it. Yeah. And then from then on, my mom was just like, she went back to Taiwan and, like, went to the swap meet in Taiwan and bought me, like, black shirts with sparkly bedazzled stuff on it and she's like look this will look great on stage and I'm like no mom I'm not gonna wear this <laughs> but her heart is in the right place she, yes. you're, you're moving in a good direction <laughs> I know she was really the biggest critic my dad's so old he's like whatever be happy but then my mom yeah my mom was like I don't know isn't telling jokes what those dirty people do at dirty bars <laughs> yeah yeah and you know when I get to invite my mom and dad to the White House that actually kind of nailed it 
Yeah, well, let's that'll just, do let's it. Let's be too. honest. <laughs> you know what I mean? When they're like, "Oh, is you getting an award from Obama?" And they're like, "Obama." <laughs> That's how you say it in Chinese. Obama. Right. Tai <laughs> hao Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, let's transition. We have a brief game that we call "Which is Worst." Ooh. It's grammatically incorrect, but it is still what we call it, (laughs) where I will give you two situations and you tell me which is worst. Okay. And these are are drawn from uh, some of your statements on Twitter, so. (laughs) Oh no, oh my God, you personalize these nightmares. It's personalized, yeah. So, okay, first, which is worst? Live streaming yourself, squeezing into a pair of two small pants every morning for a year, or Spending an entire week living in one of the tiny fake apartments in Ikea. (laughs) I would have to live in the tiny fake apartments in Ikea? Yeah, with all of the customers walking through. Oh, I would definitely 100% just live stream the fact that my fucking gut needs to fit into skinny pants. (laughs) Oh, fuck that. I like my privacy. Yeah, I guess it's you have to just give away one thing. Yes. You give away that moment rather than the whole thing. Yeah, right? I feel like that's like yeah, that's not even a an issue like it's it's not equal, you know? It's like one moment of my morning versus like everyone watch me putting in search terms to Pornhub. No. <laughs> Which is worse, every time you sneeze, the sound that comes out in its entirety is the song Sweet Caroline <laughs> or every time you burp, Donald Trump emerges from his hole in the ground and sensually licks your littlest toe. (gasps) (laughs) That that one got a gasp. (laughs) Ew. I would accept listening to Sweet Caroline as my sneeze sound over anything connected to any liquid of Donald Trump any day. That is the correct answer. There normally isn't a right answer, but that is the right answer. Sweet Caroline is the most annoying white person song I've ever heard. (laughs) You know, and but that does not compare with possibly getting an oral herpy from Donald Trump. Uh, Okay, next uh, we have, which is worst, getting a raspberry blown on your stomach by the Night King from Game of Thrones (laughs) or having to lather Jon Snow's butt with creamy medicine because he's got that disease that turns your skin into weird, scaly stones. (gasps) Oh, in this scenario, Jon Snow has grayscale? Yes. Sadly, <gasps> yes. Well, that means I can't touch him, really. Not unless you're you're lathering that, that medicine on him. That's true, because he we have discovered a, a solution to grayscale. I'd rather rub Jon Snow's butt. I think I would, too. I think I would, right? too. And it, yeah, you're, you're doing it with the hope that a Jon Snow's butt will be restored to Healed. its former glory. Oh, God, yeah. I bet Jon Snow's butt would look just as hot with grayscale on it. Let's be honest. Right. Even harder, you know? You can bounce (laughs) multiple coins off of that thing. (laughs) Totally. And, okay, our final, which is worst. Yes. Bathing John Cusack in a shower made entirely of runny egg yolks. Or giving John Cusack a face tattoo of Joan Cusack's face. (laughs) 
I think John Cusack is hot. <laughs> so I've heard. I also love yolk porn. I love <laughs> right. runny yolk. So why not combine both? How is that even a comparison? Even though I would like to see Joan Cusack's face tattooed onto John Cusack's face. That would be cool. But I would like the experience of giving John Cusack a yolk bath. That would turn me on. You know what? I hope that that comes true for you. I'll be, <laughs> I'll be praying for it. <laughs> Well, that I think is a good positive image to leave everybody with, is you bathing John Cusack in egg yolks. <laughs> uh, before we go, where can people find you and your work? They can go to JennyYang.tv, that's J-E-N-N-Y-Y-A-N-G.tv, or at JennyYangTV anywhere, especially on Twitter. Awesome. Well, Jenny, thank you so much. I had so much fun. Thank you for, for being our guinea pig and calling in. Yes, thank you. All right. Bye. Bye. We're almost there. We're almost at the end of the show. I definitely need a solid chaser this week, which is the good thing that helps all of the bad stuff go down at the end of the week. Barry, do you have a chaser this week? My chaser this week. Have you heard about this story about the cow that got lost in Prospect Park in Brooklyn? Yeah. There was a cow, this cute little baby cow who was just like running around Prospect Park. And she was just, I just love moments like that when like a bunch of people are live streaming a video uh, watching a cow run around Prospect Park. It's just a great, a great thing. Did they catch it? It was lassoed up by the police and taken to a sanctuary where it will either await its owner, who I'm sure it has a lovely relationship with, or it'll be taken to another sanctuary and just live the rest of its days grazing. Or they'll lower it into that cage where they keep the velociraptors, and then it'll just raise back up, and it'll just be like a dangling bloody carcass. That's fun. Yeah, it's so fun. What's your chaser this week, Matt? My chaser this week is for fucking singing in the shower. Now I'm one of those people, I bought just like a Bluetooth-like speaker that I brought with me to LA and I'm going to bring with me when I go on tour so that I can fully rock out in the shower. I bought a waterproof speaker that I'm going to take with me into every hotel shower just so I can listen to Beyonce before all of my shows in the shower. That's beautiful. So really, this is a gift for everybody. Because <laughs> um, now you can picture my flabby body in the shower singing to Beyonce. But it'll sound great. And speaking of my tour, we're going to have our live podcast recording of Unhappy Hour next week on October 25th. And then I am going on tour for my book, Everything is Awful. You can come out and see me. While I'm on tour, however, we're going to take a little bit of a break from Unhappy Hour. We'll be back once the tour is over. But if you're going to miss us while we're gone, you should come see the live show on October 25th. You can also watch it. We're going to stream it live on Facebook that night, October 25th, 6 p.m. Eastern. Or you can come see me on tour if you miss me that much. You can come out to a live show or book signing, meet me, I'll say hello, I'll tell some jokes, and that will hold you over until we're back. 
And that's our show. Thank you for listening to Unhappy Hour. You can head to Apple Podcasts or wherever else you get this show. Hit subscribe, then rate us, review us, but only if it's nice. I only want to read your compliments. You can also find us on Spotify and Stitcher and all the places where podcasts are. Unhappy Hour is a production of Pineapple Street Media. It's produced by Barry Finkel, Jenna Weiss-Berman, Josh Gwynn, and me, Matt Bellisai. Special thanks to Max Linsky, Jess Hackle, and this week's sponsor, Quip. Music by Hansdale Sue. You can find me on all the social medias at Matt Bellisai. You can pre-order my book, Everything is Awful, and other observations at everythingisawfulbook.com. And that's it. That's everything. Thank you for listening. See ya. On the other side. Bye. Y'all ready for Matt?